Jamie Lewis, and this is Consumed, candid conversations about life and flavor. Before we get into it, I want to share a bit about our sponsor. The inaugural season of Consumed is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine. Now in its 10th year, Slow Life Magazine celebrates the culture of San Luis Obispo with features on the people, influences, products, and businesses that keep this city moving and shaking. I've written the food column in Slow Life Magazine since 2015, where I cover restaurants and food trends here. And over the years, I've seen how devoted Slow Life Magazine's following really is. Readers love learning about their community and weaving into the fabric of this very special place. To learn how you can subscribe, be sure to visit their website at slowlifemagazine.com. Ethiopian by birth, Fabian Tefera leads an incredibly diverse life on California's central coast. A voracious reader, creative maker, and a deep lover of community, Fabian started an Ethiopian pop-up restaurant in San Luis Obispo and was overwhelmed by the positive response. She talked with me about her previous life in corporate tech in New York, the thoughtful way she feeds her young son, the challenges of living all over the world, and about the flavors and methods of Ethiopian cuisine. Fabian's voice is so lyrical to me, I could listen to her for hours, and I almost did. I hope you'll stay with us for a little longer than usual in this conversation. I promise it's worth it. All right, let's get to Fabian. So, Fabian, um, first of all, what, what does your does your name have any kind of meaning? It's actually from the Old Testament. It's somebody's oh. name in yeah. the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it doesn't have a meaning. I think it's the variation of um, Fabio, Fabian, okay. and Fabian is how we pronounce it in Amharic. Yeah, okay. So tell me, tell me about what you were like as a kid and what childhood was like. Um, I've always felt like my I had the happiest childhood because I grew up in a... My parents were divorced when I was very young. I think when I was two, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up at my mom's mom, my grandmother's house. And my mom has um, 10 siblings. Wow. So we had basically about 12 or 14 people adding everybody else that lived in the house the the people that helped out and everybody else Mm. i remember us being like me and my brother such a big deal so everybody just loved us to the point of so we grew up in a big household with so much love and there was always at least six or seven people minimum at the house wow so it was a full very peaceful mm-hmm. now looking back now I know what families are because at the time that's all I knew and I thought everybody had my life mm. it was such a peaceful family yeah. which my uncles and my aunts didn't really fight it was just a happy and they all lived together and shared this is the norm you. in Ethiopia so yeah. you, if you're not married you're, you don't really leave your mother's house mm-hmm. so all my uncles and my aunts until they got married they lived with their mom yeah and when we when me and my brother came it was just you know they couldn't do enough for us so oh. yeah and we had a lot of people to play with yeah yeah is your brother older or younger than you he's two years older than me okay and he now moved back to Ethiopia he lived in the states for I don't know 25 30 years yeah yeah how did you wind up in the states my mom um, got um, transferred mm-hmm. through her job to um, New York, mm-hmm. and then my brother and I moved 
a year later. Mm-hmm. And then she started working at the UN after uh. her first job that got her here. Yeah. What and did she so do at the UN? She works in UNICEF, mm-hmm. which um, I think she worked in different departments, but her last um, department was um, doing the funding for Bill Gates. Oh, yeah. So I wow. guess some sort of fundraiser. Yeah. Okay. Um, so and. She retired out of the UN 27 years later, mm, two years ago. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's a long time in one job, but she must yeah. have loved it. She loved it, and it's just such a an international place to be, yeah. so it was good. Mm-hmm. So she had friends from all over the world. Yeah. So it's, so it's like a community within a community. Yeah. So that's why we ended up in New York. And, we and lived. how old were you when you moved? I believe I was in the sixth grade. Okay. So 12... 12, yeah. That's a... 7th um, grade or 6th grade. That's a formative time to move. Yes, I did not want to move. Yeah. I remember being very upset when I found out we were moving because mm-hmm. I had... Um, I went to an all-girls Catholic school and I had, you know, a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. I would even dare to say I was popular and it was just... <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, dare I to say. I had it, you know, it was just comfortable and yeah. that was everything I knew. And I did not want to move just for that, for school reasons, because mm. I'm like, I don't speak English. I'm going to be in this place where I'm, you know, I have to start over again. You didn't speak English at the time. We knew how to write and read. I mean, we mm. understood, but speaking is sort of like calculated in your head. Oh, yeah. yes, I will be there, kind of, that mm-hmm. kind of. But we knew how to read and we knew how to write. I find that I I have learned... It's a loose term, but I've learned a couple of foreign languages. That's not to say I could speak them now, Mm -hmm. but you're so right about writing and reading. First of all, there's no deadline for writing and reading. You Mm -hmm. can take your time. You can pour over it and kind of start to try to soak it in and understand it. But speaking, people aren't going to listen to you much longer if you're struggling to find the words to speak it. Exactly. And it can be terrifying. And it, ne- it never flowed because I never really spoke English. Mm-hmm. In Ethiopia, we all spoke Amharic. And, mm-hmm. But we can understand. We watched English movies and, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of television shows that were the same as the States. But speaking is a whole different mm-hmm. game because I would have to think about every word. And then, you know, they're there is a dog like (laughs) and really who has by that time the dog is long gone (laughs) and you're in the sixth grade you're trying to be popular and you're trying to fit in and that's not a cool way to fit in so it was it was interesting but we were in queens new york so we were in english as a second language class where everybody spoke like that so it was like okay we can all kind of um speak this way and get through um junior high school because it's it's a rough place to be if you're not yeah junior (laughs) high all by itself yeah I didn't know what a junior high really because I went to the same school I had the same friend so junior high to me was a foreign place yeah it was just the whole experience was foreign yeah right it was snowing and I slipped on snow walking to school I didn't know um, ice was slippery like okay now I know (laughs) so much learning so much learning but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as a sound. So, cause you're mm. a kid. Just, okay. Now I know not to run on ice or you just kind of figure it out. Yeah. It, it wasn't so bad because yeah. you didn't know 
any better and you go home and you're just happy yeah. you're just a happy kid so it's like okay i felt today that was not fun but so you yeah. move on yeah kids don't uh, I, i'm gonna make a big generalization but yeah kids don't absorb things exactly the same way that adults do that's true i mean i'm not saying that it doesn't impact them or or resurface later but the process is definitely different that's true and i feel like i also I was here physically, but I was really connected with my friends and everything at home. So yeah. I would write letters, they would write. So my, really, my social life was still in Ethiopia, Yeah. but I was here. So it wasn't so bad. I would tell these experiences to my friends mm-hmm. and they're, you know, it's brand new to them. So they're like, wow. Yeah. Like, okay. And you're a New Yorker cool. now. Yeah. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Movie stars. So it was, it was, you know. It wasn't so bad. Yeah. Yeah. What, were you in the city or were you in kind of the countryside in Ethiopia? I was from the capital, so I was in the city, yeah. Yeah. I was in the city and um, I feel like um, it's different now, but for the most part, people who relocate to the States or Europe are mostly from the city Mm -hmm. because the city is not as, you know, what it is now. Now people travel a lot from the countryside to the city, but back then if you were in the cities, chances are you would... More of like an international culture. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I was definitely I, from the city. I read the book, Cutting for Stone. Did you ever yeah. read that? I, I don't know. I started reading it. I yeah. cannot it's long. go past. Yeah. The yeah. first few chapters were, I mm. picked it up a few times. So yeah. I'm ashamed to say I didn't <laughs> you gave it your best it. shot. <laughs> but I know I heard so many, so many good things about it. Well, I just, I don't know. It's a very interesting concept written by a physician and who I think now is it at Stanford, um, mm-hmm. but an Ethiopian man who just gave an incredible, I mean, for someone like me, I've never been there, mm-hmm. um, an incredible narrative about what the country has gone through and, um, you know, Italian uh, rule at a certain point and just things I had no idea about. It does a great job of giving a portrait of that, but also telling one person's story at the same time. Yeah. And that's the, I guess the one unique or I don't even know if unique is the right word, but the one thing about Ethiopia and that, that we take pride of is that we were never colonized. Like mm-hmm. that's the one country in mm-hmm. Africa. So that's part of the history and there's a lot of pride Mm -hmm. but the italians were in ethiopia i think for i don't know i'd like to say 10 years maybe rule is probably then i guess the wrong word they were just they were camping out there i suppose yeah and then they ended up leaving which is basically a really really big thing and part of the history that we're you know we're very proud of totally yeah totally do you know any other ethiopian folks here I do. I've met um, when I had the Ethiopian pop up. Mm-hmm. A few um, Ethiopians from the Kalpali students came by, and oh. we were just like, ah. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, but I I've heard of a few other Ethiopians in town, but I never really connected with them yet. Yeah. I hope to connect with them, but yeah. And I've heard of people who've adapted Ethiopian kids that were reaching out to see if I can connect with their kids or yeah. teach them the language and things. I haven't heard from her from them, but I'll be happy to. Yeah, I'm always happy to connect with anybody, but really happy yes. to connect with Ethiopians any day. I wonder, and tell me if this is in any way uncomfortable for you, but do you ever have a hard time with kind of people asking you questions as though you represent the entire country of Ethiopia? Um, I don't. I don't know. I'm always happy to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I sense <laughs> and that. And it's different you. for different people, yeah. but... um. 
and people always ask even when i lived in new york new york has a you know it's a very diverse city so mm-hmm. it's not i'm not unique or i'm not i don't stand out by any means but people ask everywhere we go and i always found it interesting that people are very interested so yes. i take it as a positive and totally i love talking about it but now mm-hmm. more than ever i like talking about it or doing things because i live in a town when there's not yeah. a lot of ethiopians or any other um culture and i have a child who's you know looks like me so i want, yeah. I want him to understand and know and you know so now i think i'm more interested in talking about it for him because he's different yeah yeah well and i feel like for my part i'm so interested i get so hungry for different perspectives mm-hmm. we there's nothing wrong with the the demographics of san luis obispo but i do sometimes hunger for a different, I just want stories, you know, and mm-hmm. a, a lot of us, our stories are very similar. Mm-hmm. And so any kind of anything from outside of here, I get really excited to just, you know, like we're going to talk about today. I want to know about all the flavors of Ethiopian food and how you've, um, you know, it's not your day job, yeah. but you've created this, this culture and this thing that's building and, um, you know, attracted the interest of somebody that you didn't know, which is me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, talk a little bit about, that talk about um maybe the pop-up just the idea of doing the pop-up the the pop-up kind of came about because everywhere i go and i work at the public library i don't know if i should be announcing that (laughs) but (laughs) well i find it so interesting that you are a librarian well i'm not a librarian because i don't have a degree whatever (laughs) you're a librarian (laughs) (laughs) um and the whole library job is another story but it's my favorite favorite job but um, working at the library, you, you're exposed to a lot of people that I wouldn't really run into in life. And I also work at Len Collective, which I you love, do? love as well. Yes. I wonder all of the, you just, you fit there. <laughs> That's such a great spot. It's a great spot. An amazing owner. Yeah. She's such an amazing human being. She is. And my bags and goods are also sold there. So it's yes. just such a, a great package. I don't know. I love it. Yeah. So those are my two jobs in Slow, which is completely different than what I did in New York. But mm. um, the pop-up, I would I work at the Los Osos Library and just random people would just come and say, are you from Ethiopia? And mm. the answer is yes. And they would say, oh, the last time I had Ethiopian food and this conversation keeps happening every time I'm yeah. just shelving books. Are you from Ethiopia? There's nothing else people talked about besides the food. And they're like, I drive to, you know, Los Angeles. I drive. I love the food, the food, the food. Yeah. And I started saying, oh, that's interesting. Like, I didn't even know people knew where Ethiopia was, let alone have the food. They're so interested and they're, they're always asking. Um, but I have no experience in the food industry or I wasn't mm-hmm. really going to get into it. So I ended up having two kind of like really big community table dinners at my house with for mm. my neighbors and friends. And it was just such a wonderful experience. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. And my sister-in-law did most of the cooking because she's an amazing cook and she's very interested in like feeding people and making food. Mm. I have an issue with um, making food for more than two people. So I, I cook very, <laughs> very little. So restaurant is not an option for me yeah um but then i went to ethiopia last summer 
and um, came back with, you know, spices and things that I need. If I, if I was ever going to have a pop-up, then mm-hmm. I need the thing. So we came back. I, I went with my friend from San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. And we came back and we're just like, oh, why don't we just give it a try? We'll do a pop-up somewhere, not a restaurant, maybe for 10 people. Because I figured nobody's going to show up and we're just going to go back with <laughs> the food for 10 people and eat it at home. <laughs> <laughs> It'll that just be a fun <laughs> experiment. That yeah. was the plan. <laughs> and it took us a while to figure out where to have the pop-up because I wasn't sure who was interested in having us. And uh, we ended up having it at Satellite of Love, which mm-hmm. um, was such a great experience. And they were j- very wonderful to us. So we went with four crock pots, like yeah. little crock pots, plug them in and... People were just like, are you open? We're here for the food. And well, I and think he did a great job of promoting it, I thought. I think that's how I wound up finding out about you. He did a great job promoting it. He did a great job putting a, like a really good soundtrack for yeah. that day. I mean, it was just the whole experience was amazing and so loving almost. People were just warm mm-hmm. to it. And then um, they helped us set up. We did everything and we sold out and... 10 minutes, I think. 10 minutes. People were com- kind of coming. They were on their way, and so people were on the line. The food was gone. A meal and a minute is what that was because <laughs> you planned for 10 people. And I said, oh, like, I guess we're not going back with dinner because I was so sure I was going to have dinner. I didn't have to cook dinner that night because mm-hmm. we'll be taking all that food back home. Um, so it was kind of a success. Um, and Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, we were scheduled to have another one, I think, two weeks later or something and the I guess I should say the hardest thing about Ethiopian food is the injera which is the flatbread it's very difficult to make Mm. it's a three-day fermentation process and then the humidity and the water and everything affects the process it's just complicated and I've never really made it before it's yeast well okay so it's a you say a natural fermentation so it's like ambient yeast yeah okay like a sourdough it's so I guess you need a starter I can't even tell you where to start but you kind of need this thing that you're pouring the water out and adding clean water and doing this for three Mm. days and then you have your starter Mm -hmm. and then you you have to make it in a specific um pot pan or you know something designed for injera but you can actually make it at home too i I never made it to this day so we would buy it from a person i know in la that only uses teff because if it's not a teff injera then you can't it's not gluten-free and right you want it to be the real grain because otherwise it's just not the same and when you eat injera it's it's very durable isn't it because it's i mean it's something that you use almost like a utensil when you eat yeah it's not really durable but it's it's soft and it's spongy so you can roll it Mm -hmm. so if it's not fresh like the next day it doesn't roll very well it just breaks apart yeah um but it's very, it's supposed to be very airy and light and spongy mm-hmm. and has all these dots. They're called eyes. So mm-hmm. they have to have like all these beautiful eyes because, you know, in the old days, if the eyes were bad, you're like, oh, take then your you're not away. Them. This is not, <laughs> it's not eyes. Who cares? But And you cook it in a pan. I mean, it, it almost sounds, I know it's not the same, but almost like tortillas when you make them fresh. You have, you know, yeah, it's not nearly as involved as using um, natural fermentation, but you're you're heating it and you're almost kind of scalding it in a pan on both sides. Um, well, not really. Like in Ethiopia, it has its own clay um, pan. It's okay. pretty big. It's almost twice the size they, of what they make in the States mm-hmm. because we don't have that giant big clay thing. Yeah. 
that gets a lot of love and it gets mm-hmm. really um I guess fired and then wa- I mean, like seasoned seasoned and yeah. just like very there's a special process and everybody's very protective of their mm. specifics so my grandmother had hers and you know it's there's so much love in the whole process mm-hmm. and then you pour it onto the the pan um, it's called mitad but i don't know what the word is um it's a, it's a pan and you don't flip it over so as you pour uh. it, it starts cooking and then the eyes oh so they short. start popping up yes almost okay like so now i'm thinking like a crepe or a pancake yes. or something yeah. My, except you don't do that with the wooden thing you just let it yes so there's a way to pour it you yeah. don't just dump it you pour it like a then, swirl or something yeah you pour it out and then you make your way in and then you just pick it up and, and is it pretty big when it comes out is it almost like a big flour tortilla size a giant tortilla size it yeah. is yeah. and do you tear at it when you eat Yes. So okay. once it's cooked, um, you put it away. You don't really heat, eat it hot. Yeah. And then you store it in this beautifully handmade mm-hmm. basket thing, and then it's covered. And then when you're ready to eat it, you take one big one, and you eat family style in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. You don't eat individually. Nobody really eats alone. You eat in a big tray. Yeah. So you put one, you lay one big one on the tray. You put the different dishes. Mm-hmm. So let's say there's four people eating together. So you put the exact because there's always more than one dish so yeah say there's lentil red lentil yellow lentil um mm. spinach or something else so you put the exact amount in front of everybody because i'm not supposed to eat from your side okay so it's family style in terms of the like the the serving ware yes but you get your own stuff every you at get every your place own stuff because i'm not reaching to your side yeah right because that's kind of rude mm-hmm. so then you take then there's Injera, there's extra injera that you use to eat with. So the one that's laid under is not the one you use to eat. So you get your own injera or it's just sitting on your side. Yeah. You take, you tear a piece, you kind of roll it in the sauce, mm-hmm. and then you eat it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Any, <laughs> any cuisine that is based on bread, yeah. I am there. <laughs> I am ready. And it's uh, the teff now is very popular. It's been researched and things. Yeah. It's, you know, it's at Whole Foods. And um, it's such a, an amazing grain. Mm-hmm. It burns fat. It's so healthy. It only has iron in it. And so it's such an healthy, a healthy grain. And that's what everybody eats in Ethiopia. And everybody's yeah. pretty lean and in mm-hmm. shape. And well, not in shape, but people eat very healthy so you eat meat and butter and all the animal products around the holidays Mm -hmm. so the rest of the year you're really eating a lot of vegetarian dishes Mm -hmm. and it sounds like um beans legumes you know things like that yeah yeah and cabbage and um spinach Mm -hmm. and uh, chickpeas that's one of the popular dish (laughs) i i the other day i actually looked at what i was eating we did soca at home, the Italian chickpea mm-hmm. pancakes, essentially. We had that for dinner. At lunch, I had had, um, I think I had roasted chickpeas in my salad, and I also had hummus. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I think 40% of my diet is made up with chickpeas, chickpeas. this day. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. And the chickpea dish is sort of like the introductory, you know, if you had different things for people, I can almost guarantee people will be like, that's my favorite one because mm. it has such a, it's not just chickpeas. It goes through a whole process of being um, mixed with garlic. You know, they yeah. dry everything first. 
Yeah, uh, the the beans and everything. The beans, the garlic, the oh. onions, the um, the everything is. I guess what I was what I'm trying to say is, growing up, food came from nature. Mm-hmm. So once I don't know, once every six months or whenever, all the grains are purchased. They come to the house, and then you make sure, like every family and every member gets involved in like cleaning, mm-hmm. taking the rocks out, and then the whole thing goes to the place where they grind it for you. So you make your own. Every family has their own chickpea powder mixture. Wow, yours is different than mine because some people put a lot of garlic, some people put extra herbs, some people put so. Everybody claims their their chickpeas the best because that's what you grew up on. <laughs> yes, of course, that, and that's where your palate baselines. Yeah, yeah. But everything kind of comes and then goes to the place where they grind it, and then it comes back. And that day is where you grind all your spices. Mm. So the um, the peppers come mm-hmm. as they are, and then they're laid out in the sun under like on a fabric. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you go visit somebody, they're basically the entire compound is like this all these things drying out in the sun yeah and then they're collected and sometimes it rains you gotta run and collect everything and yeah um so basically everything gets processed at a certain time Mm -hmm. then it's stored and then you cook from that Mm -hmm. so there's really nothing was we didn't have any canned food we didn't even know what can like there was nothing packaged yeah so I grew up like that, seeing everything and being part of the whole thing. And you're excited when it's that time because there's a lot of work and this yeah. one is doing that. So then I think that's what I look for food. That's why I feel like I'm very picky. Like I want to make sure I cook my meals. I want to make sure I start from scratch. And mm-hmm. and it's easy for me to do that because I grew up there. But I try to do that for my son who grew up in like groceries and everything yes. came from the groceries. But he kind of knows and he reads books and I tell him all these stories and he's been to Ethiopia twice. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to know if you're eating something, make sure it's really delicious, of course, and mm-hmm. it's real. Yeah, You know, everything that's in it. There's nothing that you don't know or you can't pronounce. That is so convicting. I feel like we've just been in a, in a season of convenience. We need our family. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been very busy, been traveling and I just, I love to travel, but it's so hard on my body because it's, you know, you're kind of at the, um, at the whim or at the disposal of the best place that you can find. And mm-hmm. if you're trying not to spend a bunch of money, cause you're not cooking at home, you're finding things that are, you know, I just, I feel like we've been in convenience mode a lot lately, mm-hmm. but when you and I had breakfast the other day, and you had, you know, like this gorgeous, thick, fat piece of sourdough and eggs and greens and, um, and butter. I mean, we talked about butter, how important, how key that is <laughs> to the flavor of anything. Um, yeah, I, I even just talking to you then and realizing how much thought you put into what you had ordered um, and also just being at Sally Lou's, which is where you had it, um, where they do a great job mm-hmm. of caring about quality. There's this dignity in eating that way. And I think that my dignity starts to slide when I need things to be quick or I need them to be um, cheap yeah. or, you know, it mm-hmm. just goes really quickly. And I think it's steeping in conversations or in meals with people like you that brings it it jolts me back to, oh yeah, we got to eat the real thing here mm-hmm. um, and prepare it at home. I 
I write and talk a lot about food, but honestly, I am eating at home 90% of the time. And we all do. There's times and seasons where you're busy, but I feel like that's where, in my own little world, I'm trying to build, because we're pretty new, well, a year and a half, two years. It's not new, but it's new. Mm -hmm. Building a community where if I can't cook today, then we'll eat at your house, and if you guys can't cook today. So if you have that community of people who just enjoy food and like to cook Mm -hmm. then we need to support each other because Mm -hmm. otherwise it's not we're not designed to live on our own and function on our own and success you know be successful on our own it's Mm -hmm. so once we make that connection then it's easy it's not you who always have to cook for your kids and who always and if you don't have food today i have food at my house come over i will enjoy what i have and then the next time i'm on the go and I don't want my son to eat out, then I can say, hey, are you guys cooking dinner tonight? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not cooking. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not the culture, so it's taking... That's radical for us. I, I mean, it it's, <laughs> it's radical even as you say it. I mean, I feel like we have a pretty good, strong community. I mean, our family does. But even then, it's if we're eating out with somebody else or eating in someone else's home, it's this belabored, when are you free? How about Saturday? No, yeah. we've got this on Saturday. How about Monday? No, we can't. Because it's not <laughs> casual the way you're talking about where it's just very open and, hey, I don't... <laughs> I can't cook tonight. Can we come over? I like yearn for that. <laughs> because that's natural. What we're doing about, hey, if she feeds me today, I have to feed her tomorrow if I feed her child. That's so unnatural yeah. and so exhausting that we'd rather not go eat at somebody's house because it's just so much of a burden to eat mm-hmm. your food because now I have to feed you my food. Right. But if it's a norm and I'm building that, I have we met this new family who's just, they're wonderful. So if I don't have dinner okay can we come today are you cooking or as I'm cooking I will say why don't you guys come over because I just cooked and we can share a meal and they're open to that so there's no obligation it's just open my door is always open and send your kids without snacks because Mm. I you know it's such a and I do that when I send my son anywhere I pack snack because I know the person is gonna say did you bring snack oh my gosh how cold is that to a child He's the child is in your house. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a beautiful thing to open your fridge and say, Hey, what do you guys Here's what eat? we have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what would you like? Uh, that's, I mean, for a, to a child, if I was a child and I went to somebody's house and they would say, Oh, did you bring your snack? What? It's so not, <laughs> you, you know, it's so not caring. <laughs> that's so interesting that you bring that up because um, there is a culture around kids and their snacks. I mean, that's obvious, but bringing snacks to somebody else's, like if someone, uh, uh, invites you to backing up, I'm thinking about a specific time when my son was maybe, I think he was like two and a half and a friend down the street was asking, do you want to walk to the children's museum? Mm -hmm. And I said, sure. And I was horrible then and I'm still horrible about packing enough calories for everybody Mm -hmm. to remain happy. I'm a meal eater. I'm really not a snacker and I kind of impose that on everybody else. But I remember we were walking down to the museum and my son, who is a little bit of a bottomless pit, he just loves to eat. Um, He said he saw the other kid eating something and I said, I'm so sorry, son. I, I don't have anything. And the friend, my friend said, I always have about 2,000 calories on my person Mm -hmm. for my child. And I just thought, that's so different from how I eat. And I realized little bodies need food differently than I do. Mm -hmm. But 
even to this day, a lot of people will get together at the park or something and they'll all bring their snacks. And I don't even think to bring something. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I picture eating as like we're sitting down yeah. and taking I'm the time. same way. And I didn't give him snack for a while because he didn't go to school and I was a stay home mom and I didn't believe in snacking. Because yeah. then when, you know, then you're not going to eat. Then That's we're how gonna I, fight, yeah. And, you know. And then you're going to fight. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because you have to eat. But then if you're eating sweets or, you know, snacks for the most part are not healthy. I don't care what yeah. they say on their label. They're just not. Yeah. Um, but then when he started going to school, it was mandatory because there's snack time. And yes. so it was just like, really? I have yeah. to send him. So I pack very little snacks so mm-hmm. he can eat his lunch. Because you'll be hungry, so it'll just be strawberries or yeah. blueberries. Yeah. And now it's gotten to the point, just yesterday he was complaining, you don't pack enough snack for me. I'm like, I know. Yeah. So you can eat your lunch. You don't need the snack. Now it's just, it's just, you know, it's just part of the culture or whatever it is, but yeah. you have to have, you have to eat. You just ate a big breakfast because my son eats. Mm-hmm. So he gets a full adult size breakfast. Same here. And then at 10 something, he's going to have a snack. And then at noon, he's going to have lunch. It just doesn't add up. Yeah. But yeah. there's days where I just give in. I'm just like, okay. Mm-hmm. I just recently started buying packaged snack because he just feels so left out yes. and he j- and mm. I'm like but it's not good but there's d- and then you get tired and like here here's your package snack yeah. you it'll be a treat mm-hmm. so you'll get it once a week or twice a week you'll get package snack because yeah. that's your treat but I feel like now I can do that because he's eight and I've mm-hmm. his body's already kind of used to a certain taste so yeah. That was my whole goal. What I, I tell you know my friends when they think I'm so crazy, mm. I'm setting him up for success when he's 30. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with what he's doing now. It's just building his taste buds. And then he'll be in college and he'll say, oh, I can't believe I never had junk food. So he's going to eat a lot of junk food. Yeah. But then he's going to go back to his old, yeah. the original taste that he has. I'm so <laughs> with you on that. And I feel very... Um, I, I should say that our son's actually, when yours was born in June, June I think, yeah. and mine was born in May of the same oh, year. Okay. So they're, they're the same age. They're yeah. the same age. Um, that's been coming up a lot lately, the feeling left out thing. Mm-hmm. And it breaks my heart because now it's a social thing. Yeah. I mean, it's probably always been a social thing, but I haven't, I haven't maybe been willing to see it that way until now I'm seeing a real desire to... Yeah, not be left out. And the snack thing, I mean, it it's amazing to me how much of, you know, sociology, anthropology, psychology comes down to what we eat. There, the little deviations, you know, um, that, for example, if I give my son um, <laughs> chickpeas again, roasted chickpeas that I made and they're in a plastic baggie, he may love the taste of it, but mm-hmm. the fact that it's not in the little package mm-hmm. from the store yeah. makes a big difference. But you sound like you've been very confident in your choices, whereas I'm completely insecure about all No, <laughs> I have not. It, it was work, but le- for the most part, we were almost isolated because he was. we were in Hawaii when he was born, so that was easy. And then we were in Savannah, Georgia, where I had no friends, so there was no competition or nobody to say oh, he's so-and-so is eating this because mm. there was no so-and-so. It was just him and I, you know, going to the library every day and having coffee and he would have his steamed milk and we're reading a book because there was no other thing to do. And at the time, it was so sad and uh, just being alone. But it was good because I didn't have any of the 
the outside pressure. Yeah. So, you know, he read and he ate good food and life was that. He didn't know any other yeah. <laughs> alternative. So, and then we moved to North Carolina and it was kind of, I definitely had a better social life and I had wonderful friends, but still there wasn't that much pressure mm-hmm. to to fit, to belong. I gave him what I thought was what he needed and he was fine with that. Mm-hmm. Now he's older yes, and he can actually say, hey, you know, at lunchtime, the flatbread you made me at home. <laughs> Which, by the way, could you give me flatbread? Like, I would take your flatbread. Exactly. <laughs> the moms would tell me, how did you make that flatbread? Yeah. His friends would come over and they want flatbread and honey. Um, mm. And also, I think I have to, and this is kind of personal, now I don't know if he's feeling left out because he's different, because he's definitely not white, or mm-hmm. is he left out because of the snack? So I'm a little paranoid, oh so I'm just like... Okay, because I'm not sure here's a package snack, so yeah, everything is covered. Oh so it's gosh. kind of like a sad yeah. undertone to it because I'm not sure. Mm. And lately I've been very sensitive to that of and for obvious reasons, the news and the world. Yeah. So just like okay, it's not worth me trying to keep you healthy. Yeah. I'd rather you eat, eat junk and feel like you belong, which yeah. which is pretty sad. But Yeah, honestly, I'm thinking about that. And I'm also just thinking about a mother's heart, mm-hmm. how um, we just, we don't know. We yeah. don't know what to do. Yeah. And we just do the best that we can. But the fact that you th- have to think about the food choices that you make, because you're not sure if it's this one reason he feels left out or this other one. So we're going to knock this one down and see if things get better. Yeah. That is just, that's and that a, is so sad. And that's it's just been hitting me hard lately because he's, He's older, he's eight and he's going to do things and somebody's going to say something because I don't think he knows the difference right now. He doesn't care and he's so mm. outgoing Yeah, that somebody out there might kill that spirit of, hey, mm. I'm, I belong here and it's just he's all over the place. He knows everybody because it's a small town. Yeah. So because of that, like I said, now I give him the package snack and think, mm. okay, hopefully this will fix the bigger problem but again this is just like a personal yeah things that go through my head and some days it's because it's hard and I'm tired or this and that I just say okay I don't want you to feel that way so here Mm -hmm. it is so yeah it's weird how it ties back to food it is yeah like the little Ritz (laughs) crackers I mean I had no idea that that was going to trigger me so much and and me growing up I don't remember my mom packing me a lot of I think it was kind of the golden age of, or or the emerging age of packaged stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom cared a lot about the nutrition of what we ate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I wonder if that has something to do with the way I respond now. All of our families are so different the way we eat. Um, but, you know, as you're saying, I, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, if nothing else, your son will know that you love him and that you hear him Mm -hmm. because he knows that you don't want to give him that stuff. And you do a couple times a week. Yeah. That is, that's the kind of love that goes beyond what we would prefer just to show like, I'm hearing you. That's what I'm thinking too, because really in reality, everything we do for our kids is basically for their adult adulthood. The healthy mind as of an adult is critical and, you build that now. So there's always a 
give and take and we do it together we would go shopping together and we yeah. would be like okay this is going to be your treat you'll get this yeah but he's for some reason he's he's a very advanced reader so he reads a lot and he reads he loves reading about books mm. i mean about food and the recently because I, I work at the library i check out everything the library has so half of the library is at my house <laughs> and you can take can't you take 99 items home yeah so i filled up <laughs> one card i'm on his card so i'm over 99 no way yes. oh that's impressive <laughs> so i check out you know sometimes i check out um from the teen section and it's not for him it's for me because yeah. i don't have a lot of time to read you know full adult books so i checked out two on this a few weeks ago so the cover looks as like a um, cartoonish thing mm-hmm. so he picked it up and he started reading and i said i didn't bring that for you it's for me and he's like no i want to read it he read the whole thing and read oh it twice goodness. and it's very graphic almost because yeah. it's about fast food and how people lose their fingers on the oh whoa chicken processing center and how yeah. it's very because it's not meant for kids yes so he read the whole thing how did he respond to that he was, he, he understood. He's like, now I know why you don't want me to eat at fast food. And I said, I didn't mean for you to yeah. <laughs> find out at all. I just yeah. would not. Because he was saying at some point, oh, you know, how come I never ate at McDonald's? Have you ever eaten at McDonald's? Yeah. I said, I did once when I first came to America because that's what you do. My yeah. mom got us burgers and I just said, there's sugar in this thing. It was such a weird you could taste. taste that there was sugar in it. It was a sweet hamburger. And I'm like, I thought hamburgers <laughs> were, it was such a, like the mind and the taste buds were completely not communicating because I expected a burger. Yes. And this thing was a donut almost. It was so sweet to oh me. My, you're blowing <laughs> my mind right now because for someone who I've eaten, I don't, there are countless times I've eaten at McDonald's. I haven't in the past, you know, in my, I would say in my adult life, I haven't. But the fact that, we are, I, I, we had it as a special treat, but you know, grandparents would buy it for us. And it was regular enough in my diet that I can't taste. I mean, maybe now I could because I've been off it mm-hmm. for so long, but I don't think I could have distinguished what was in it. I but don't I think was, I would have said there's sugar in this. I was brand new. I yeah, just came from right. Ethiopia. I went to the mall near us and my mom way of, my mom's way of saying, Hey, let me get you guys that i mean not fa- she didn't even say let me get you guys fast food you go to mcdonald's because it's american you get to have your experience yeah we're in, in queens it's you know there's a shopping center there's a big food court that everybody went to and i remember there was a pickle in the middle now i know what a pickle is i don't know what a pickle was mm-hmm. and that was like the only thing that had salty like the real taste maybe but i couldn't even get to the pickle i, I couldn't <laughs> eat it so she says okay <laughs> you guys don't don't want to eat this she's shocked and I guess next to it or two doors down or two stands down was Chinese food. So mm-hmm. she got us, I remember this very specifically, it was sweet and sour chicken or sour and yeah. sweet chicken. So it was very sticky. Yes. And it was just gummy. Gummy and a mm-hmm. bunch of chicken came. I'm like, okay, chicken, I can eat chicken. And I've never had sweet and sour together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's <laughs> chicken processed like a donut. Yeah. I mean, you know, battered and fried. So your mind thinks chicken. And you, so I couldn't eat that either. And my yeah. mom's just like, okay, I guess we'll go home and make something. So, I, I, and I loved the fries. I mean, I ate the yeah. fries. Um, so that was because I had it right away that I never really craved it. Because I knew that was just not... Mm. 
And I'm so grateful because if I tried it maybe, you know, five years after I've lived here, then I would have adjusted and might yeah. have loved it. But to me, it wasn't because it was good. It was bad. I had no idea if it was good for you, bad for you. I, I didn't. I was not aware at all by any means. It was about means. the flavor. I just could not eat sweet yeah. dishes that are not supposed to be sweet. How interesting is that? So it was so confusing to me that I never forgot. I never went back to have it. But I would always go for french fries and I would supersize it. And I Those love are it. universally good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. It's salty. <laughs> yes. It's perfect. That's what you expect. Yeah. It's what you get. And was perfect. So. And I'm not going to disparage McDonald's fries. They are special. There's they something are. special going on there. I mean, I haven't had them in probably a decade and a half, but I can smell them. I and mean, they're, they're crunchy and right? they're sweet. They're delicious. And you can supersize <laughs> them. And we only had, between my girlfriend and I, we've had $2. <laughs> we can get a giant uh, fries. Thank God we can aff- afford soda. So we would have water. And yeah. that was a happy life. Yes. So everything was, happy life. it was such a happy life. Mm. And um, that's what we ate at the mall. And uh, it ended at that. So, yeah. but he, and I told him that story. I said, I've had it before. You once. told your son that. Yeah, yeah. Because he kept on saying, I'm the only one who have not McDonald's. I'm the only one who hasn't. I'm the only, like, this is his thing. Now. I'm the yes. only one. So that's why I'm very paranoid. That, yes. Um, so I'm like, oh, okay, if you feel, I said, I've had it before. I'll let you try it. But mm-hmm. this is my experience. And the reason I had it because I was new to America. So this was new food. You live here. This is not new food. So, but if you want, you can try it, but it's not going to be your diet same thing with soda and things like that everybody had soda you i won't let you you know have soda but you can try it once you can Mm -hmm, take mm -hmm. so you're like you only give me one sip like yeah that's right i get him you know fancy soda that doesn't have all the sugar and stuff and he's happy with that but it's hard and it's Mm -hmm. expensive and it's exhausting and it's it is expensive yeah eating well is expensive eating well is expensive but that's the one place i wouldn't budge on mm-hmm. um everything else i shop at the thrift shop very proudly yeah. i get yeah i'm not and i shop for new stuff too but food is not some place where i would compromise mm-hmm. because that's what's gonna go in his body and then yeah. his body is his mind and his mind is his body and yeah. it's connected there's no separation i can't expect him to do well if he's not eating well yeah no i so agree food is different in that way I mean, we can shop in thrift stores, which I also love to do. I don't have nearly enough time to do it, but, um, you know, you you can wear something on your body, Mm -hmm. but, um, and I feel actually very much the same way about drugs and alcohol. I, I do drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like we got, we have to be very, uh, intentional about the way we take anything in because it is, you're right. Your body is your mind is your body. Yeah. But I feel like we separated that for a while and now Mm -hmm. We're going back to that where your body is your mind and your body. Your health is not just your physical. It's also your mental. And mental health, I think, is even more critical than physical health. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time with all my friends. And yeah. some of them think I'm completely, you know, a, a loony. And mm-hmm. some of them are like, how do you do it? And uh, But I just want that community to grow so i can just send him somewhere and not have to worry about what he's eating yeah if i have if i build a community like that around me then i can just yeah. like send your kids i'll feed them i'll s- you send your ki- my kid I'll, like it should not have it should not be something i have to pack for him or right. 
kids should be ha- you know welcome at anybody's house and eat what that person has yeah so i don't know we have a it's funny you say that because we have a couple of different families that we're, we've become very close with and it's interesting I feel very comfortable with the way that they live yeah. I just jive with the way they live mm-hmm. and I always feel comfortable sending my kids over there or their kids coming here and that's like that's true love and belonging which is what we all are looking for yeah and it feels so good to find it yeah and then they will build it when they get older yeah. we're teaching them how to build their own little community mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's interesting, and moving around does not help. I was just situation. going to say, so you, I mean, of all people caring so much about community, you it sounds like you've moved a lot. Um, I have moved a lot. I mean, considering that I never moved. After I moved from Ethiopia, I lived in New York for 23 years, I think, and had no interest in moving. I loved New York yeah. every moment. And then once I got married, it was every three years we yeah. moved and then, you know, moving alone is not a big deal at all. But moving with a child, it's a whole different because I have to make mom friends. And the moms have to get along. The kids have to get along. And they have to. So it was just at some point, it was exhausting. I didn't bother to do anything. I just kind of stayed with my son and it was the two mm-hmm. of us. Um, and he matured really fast, not by choice because of the lifestyle. Um but then I've always felt like, because there was a point in my life, I'm like, maybe I need to change so I can have a friend because this is so isolating. Let me change who I am to fit in. And who cares if he's eating? Like, there's a time where I just said, no, maybe I'm the one who's wrong because mm-hmm. this is such a lonely life and it's not healthy. But then something in me told me, but what if you meet that community and you've changed already and he's just this kid who's, you know, drinking soda and kicking everything <laughs> else and now I can't fit in the community I want to fit in yeah and then that scared and then me that would so be much sad for you it would be so sad for me and it yeah. scared me I said you know what I'm sticking with this I'm Good sticking with the isolation and um, until <laughs> <laughs> because the the alternative was to just let it let it be and then then that's when you're going to meet the community you want to mm-hmm. be in and then it's hard to undo all the stuff I the damage I would have done mm-hmm. So I stuck with it and I'm glad I did because now he's in that community and he's in that school where he's okay. He can, he fits in and it's mm-hmm. just a wonderful place. And I, I don't know. I feel like I stuck with what I wanted and yeah. I didn't give it. It was, j- this is just to say it was not easy. It was extremely difficult and it was really lonely and sad, but. But you made choices. I mean, you had autonomy and you had agency over what you did. You, you, I, I think it's, I find it very interesting that you at one point saw that you had a choice to either change yourself to fit in or not. I mean, most people, I think just change to fit in. They don't think about it consciously. Yeah. But I think I could have done that if I was alone again, like I could Mm -hmm. change and then change back when I'm ready, but I cannot have him. I can't tell him we're going to change now and then we're going to unchange later because he (laughs) won't understand. So I was more worried. He's not going to change back to where I want him to be when I meet my community. Yeah. So I can't do that. But if I was alone, I can always pretend and so it was uh, before a child you give them Mm. things you can't take it and say hey now this is our community they don't do that it's it's so confusing or this is my public self and this is my private self yeah yeah it's funny you don't have um any kind it's like an audit you know when you have Mm -hmm. a child they audit everything that you do whether they say it verbally or not yeah yeah 
and it's exhausting and it's I find to this day I've, he's eight and I'm you know pretty I mean I'm mature and older but to this day I find it so sad that it's always the mother it's always one individual it's not a community it's I can't do this alone yeah. and that it's so hard but you still have to do it alone there's no because when, when we were growing up you can be on the other side of town. You don't know anybody. An adult is an adult. If an adult says, stop doing that, you stopped right away. Yes. They just know you, you're, you're not my mother. You're not from this. There's no But you are thing. an adult. You are an adult mm -hmm. and I'm a child. So it was almost the entire, you know, city was in charge of you. You can't do anything in front of other adults that you wouldn't do in front of your parent. Yeah. Here you can do it in front of your aunt because she's not your mother. Like that, it's isn't that so the truth? <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. So, the, for that reason, I feel like it's exhausting because I'm yeah. the only one in charge. I don't want to be the only one in charge. Mm -hmm. I want to be the main one, but then everybody else should be in charge. Yeah. So collectively, collectively we raise them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, and yeah, you know that puts a lot of pressure on the parent, on the mothers, on the mother. Yeah. 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 I mean. Practically speaking, that's often who it is. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I still find it to be extremely exhausting and difficult. Mm -hmm. And you're also trying to do so many things with your own life. Yeah. Because I don't believe in we're one. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're one with anybody. Mm -hmm. So I'm separate. So I'm also wanting to do so many things on my own. You are doing so many <laughs> things. Can you, I mean, just talk about like... I, I, you make these beautiful, beautiful things. Um, talk about how you got into, I mean, and describe what they are, because I think you do more than I even realize. Well, um, the whole thing started in Savannah, Georgia, because in my previous life in New York, um, I had a career. I was a network manager, and I was working for a large firm for about 11 years. So I had my own job. I traveled for my job. It was just very comfortable and mm -hmm. What I knew, that's all I knew. I knew corporate very well. I had corporate friends. I have social life outside of my corporate life. I try, It was just a full life in that sense because mm -hmm. if I wanted something, I just went. I wanted to go to India. I just got up and went. Like there was no, nothing stopping me because I was very good with my money. Mm -hmm. I checked my money every morning. And it was <laughs> <Is it> still there? <laughs> is it still there? And is it invested? Like I was very serious about my financial situation and yeah. it was uh, I find it funny now because that's the first thing I did when I got to the office um <laughs> and I had so it was a, it was a completely different life but I didn't think it was anything special because everybody around me had the same exact life so I didn't think anything of it of and I just said hey if I move I'll just get another office somewhere and then just live the same life um but things you know life takes a different turn I got married we had a child and I stopped working because it didn't make sense for me to work at the time because mm -hmm. then I would have to put them in daycare and I knew what they ate at daycare. So it was just like a whole... Yeah. So I became a stay-at-home mom and um, it wasn't for me. It wasn't something I enjoyed. But at the same time, I felt very, very... I thought it was very important for me to raise him mm -hmm. and feed him. <laughs> Mostly mm -hmm. feed him, actually. Mm -hmm. Somebody else could have raised him, but I wanted to be in charge of his food. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Priorities, <laughs> yeah. Somebody can cuddle and somebody can change his diapers, but I wanted to make sure I was in charge of it. I think it really was the oh. food that made me to want to be a stay-at-home mom because yeah. he can have more fun at the daycare. But I, And then I would pull him up. I 
because at some point it got to be too much where I was really unhappy. Mm-hmm. So I put him in a daycare for a little bit and I will go right before lunch, pick him up, feed him lunch, and drop him off. Oh it was just, anyway, gosh. it was a mess. Yes. Um, so after that, we moved to Savannah. And like I said, it was very isolating for me personally. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with Savannah. But, and I had to figure something out because we're gonna, we were going to move a lot. And I'm in the IT world, you're out of, you know, you didn't work for six months. You're really behind. You can't. Mm-hmm. It's technology moves pretty fast. So my career was pretty much done at this point. I'm not going to go back to it. So I had to reinvent myself in addition to being a mom and being, and I didn't know what to do. So I just was making, I would buy him. There was nothing to buy for him, like clothes wise. Everything was so boring and so uninteresting. I said, you're not going to wear this. So I would buy something and like add something to it or fix it and to make him look, I guess to have like a fitted, like almost a European fit because everything was, everything was boxy. T-shirts were boxy and they looked horrible so you would kind of like um uh hem it in hem it in or add something on the pocket or paint it or just Mm -hmm. I just did everything and then I started doing the same for myself because I didn't see I remember driving down one day and I saw somebody who was very stylish like I want to be a friend I almost wanted to get out of the car and I was just like okay (laughs) like I haven't seen any because in New York the whole city is fashion like you don't have to go anywhere you see visually you're very constantly yeah so I would do the same thing to my own clothing and then I started making tops for myself by hand like Mm -hmm. I don't have a sewing machine so I would make I would do oh your hands (laughs) oh my word and I didn't think it was abnormal I thought I mean I was at home I was gonna make my own top sure but it's just a lot of work it was days and days because yeah. i would do the whole thing by hand which now i know is completely <laughs> bizarre if you want to borrow my machine no i'm but just I kidding you probably have one now desperate because i had time and i had a child and i had no friends mm-hmm. so we would um and then i said i started looking up schools maybe i can learn how to make clothing and then i meet this wonderful um older man who used to do like suits for the temptation and like he's oh he's from gosh. new york yeah. and he lives in savannah and just it was such a weird connection that how we ended up connecting and i went to um talk to him and he doesn't take students unless he you prove yourself worthy of you know studying under him yeah so i'm like oh, i'm never gonna make it i have no experience so he said have you made anything before i said no but i've been making these tops at home he's like bring them let me see I brought them and he's like, you made this and he was blown oh. away. He's like, nobody makes that by hand. That's yes, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I'm, you're definitely interested because he doesn't oh. want to waste. He's retired and he doesn't have to do this. He has his own studio. So he only takes a few students and he works with them. He sounds like he's a craftsman too. He is. Mm-hmm. So I was in. Oh and my then goodness. I said it was so worth my time because I wasted days making one top but that got me into this to study under this man um and the class was supposed to be I think a year long or six months I forget but I was with him the whole three years I was there even though I just go there every day whenever my son is and he was in a Montessori school in Savannah when he's in school three days I would wait for him before he comes in and I'll just make so we'd go in I'll we'll eat and it was just became more than um it was a friendship. We worked together. He taught me everything I knew. Mm-hmm. So now I was making clothing. And the dresses, I mean, I, I've seen the tops and the dresses with those. I don't know. How, how do you describe those sleeves? The sleeve, they're just huge sleeves. They're, but there's <laughs> something very, um, it's just very dialed in and quality. Whereas, you know, when I make something, I sew 
<laughs> a little bit. When I make something, it's very clear clear that somebody made this. Whereas yours, and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, it looks like a professional made it. There's but, a quality to it that's obviously, I didn't realize you had studied that That's from the man. school because yeah. I didn't, I used to make tops before, like I said, but you can tell I made them. Yeah, I would go to the grocery shop, and if somebody says that looks nice, I look at them like because I, <laughs> I knew they, they just said it looked nice because I I call it I don't call it this it's already like a beginner's mind uh-huh. because I didn't know anything. Yeah, I would add like a piece of leather to it. I never thought about how to wash it. I like I just yes, I right. just add things that really don't exist. So when you see it, you're like, whoa, where did you get that? Like. Yeah. I made it and then somebody would say how would you wash that I'm like I don't oh. know because <laughs> you're just so into what you're making you're not thinking about washing it yeah so I would make interesting pieces that were not practical but they were practical to me I would wear them I so it was very interesting so I, I started making boys jackets because there was nothing for boys out there that I thought was stylish enough for him and then nobody would pay for boys because they would ruin their clothes and I was making yeah. half leather half something combined dry cleaning beautiful coats and <laughs> I kind of I identify <laughs> with people who'd be like that thing is gorgeous but I cannot put this on my little boy's body because he will yeah he will destroy it and you wouldn't pay the money for it because it yeah. doesn't make sense yeah so I moved on to making women's coats yeah um and I still wasn't selling them in Savannah, Georgia, where we lived. And then we moved to North Carolina. And I really like to give myself credit. I worked hard and I did a lot of stuff that, you know, it would take forever. But I was so interested it didn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Now looking back, I give myself credit. At mm-hmm. the time, I didn't. I'm just like, you're not selling. So what's the point? Stop doing what you're doing. This is no because I wanted the business aspect. I wanted to make money. But at the same time, I wanted to make beautiful things that took forever which I will never make the money for and that you can be happy about selling yeah but at the time I was I think I got caught up between if you're not selling stop making because this is a business and anyway I moved to North Carolina and we we were in this um we moved to Southern Pines which is sort of like a retiree town and there's a lot of golf course and everybody lived a slow life and they're older and just wonderful people and we lived in an older community it wasn't like a gated community but it was just a housing that everybody in there was 80 something and older Mm -hmm. and then we moved in and it was just not they it does not compute it does not compute but (laughs) it was wonderful for us and we had my son had a really amazing time because they were all his Mm -hmm. grandma grandparents he would walk a dog would one and then he would Anyway, after that, they realized what, you know, they came over one day to say hello, whatever. They saw what I was making and they were just like, you make these? These are beautiful coats and we want one because they go to the ballet, they go to the opera, they have social life that like the old school social Mm -hmm. life. So I would have events at my house and people just bought my coats and they were... Not only they bought my coats, they were just so amazed and impressed yeah. with the fabric. How did you put this with? And I said, "See, sticking with what you that's right believe in, which I don't believe now, but looking back." Wait, I'm what do you mean I, you don't believe that now? I say that now, but uh, tomorrow I'll just be like, "Oh, don't do this because it's not gonna happen." You know, that is exactly that. I've been thinking about that a lot because this podcast is never going to make me money. Um, <laughs> And there might be people who say, 
I don't want to listen to that. It's boring. It's two people talking. And it's that one woman every single time, me, um, you know, and she laughs too loud or she, you know, she's obnoxious or whatever my mind tells me people say. Um, but I'm so happy doing this. And it took just taking the first step. And, and I'm very much, I resonate with how you're talking about the coats. I don't know that anyone will ever buy these, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of not the point. The point is making something that I get a lot of joy from and but it's hard. I, oh, it's so it's hard. This so takes hard. time. Yeah. It takes time it takes to make time. a beautiful dress. Yeah. yeah. But I thought I once I learned I was going to make money because I think I was too caught up in making money so that I can feel like I'm back in the world. Yeah. Because I think my years in New York, money was what I had. So I kind of associated myself with, okay. Your worth. Yeah. Money it's powerful. and job and title was me and... Mm. I lived that life for like fully like typical New York corporate life for so long. I didn't know any other life even existed. I just assumed everybody had that. Like I have this issue where if I like something, I assume everybody li- like. Oh, so <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but I say it's hard because let's say tomorrow I want to do something new. I still say the same thing to myself. It's not like mm-hmm. learn from your own experiences. If you plan it, it'll happen or but I don't. That's why I say it's hard. Because yeah. if let's say tomorrow, if you want to do something different than the podcast, you're not going to say, you know what, I did this, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to. You're not going to be confident. You're always going back, like, maybe. But you did the podcast, right? So when it's something new, you always hold back a little and say, hey, don't do that. But the yeah. point is, I'm preaching <laughs> to Please. myself too. Yes, of course. I think if you stick to it, it really, really does happen because I made so many coats I brought Mm. so much and but then things were working like there was a fabric outlet by my house and he got the most expensive fabric from Mm. because he gets it in small pieces that he can sell it for such a cheap price Mm -hmm. which is what I could afford at the time but the fabric worth was beyond which I didn't even know Mm. so I would make something for myself and wear it somewhere and I would run into somebody who knew fabric and they would say where did you get that from they go this place and and they're like you know that's a very hard to find and very expensive Mm -hmm. fabric and if you want to buy more let us know because we have this and that and I would look and it's like five hundred dollars a yard oh my word (laughs) so So you had us you had a hookup that was very good yeah he just happened to be in this town where he had a fabric store and he gets leftover fabric but he got the best fabric out there that because nobody wants a two yard at that point there's no reason two yard would make a coat for me and Mm -hmm. the coat that I made with that fabric that you would never even think about seeing it in a coat format or maybe a couch or because I worked mostly with upholstery fabric so yes the mind is attracted to something that's so different than shocking That's why when the my neighbors came in, they said, whoa, like, how did you think to put this with that? And because they knew fabric, they were all yeah. constantly renovating their house. They're working. They, um, so, it, it, you know, not only they purchased, they also made me realize, OK, I do have something. Yeah. I believed in it, but when it's not selling. And no, there has to be a um, you're right. There has to be somebody that matters to you speaking into it. Mm hmm. I think is it's a psychological thing. It gives you the confidence. It to gives keep you, going. yeah. And then um, as I was doing that, I was just on the side. Was I was making 
bags from I don't know a thing about making bags Mm -hmm. so I would stuff them with stuff that you're not supposed to stuff bags with I just made them because they looked beautiful Mm -hmm. and then when I go to events I on my setup the display I just use them as display because the fabric is beautiful but it's not a functional bag because you can't put it's like a pillow almost because it's so (laughs) stuffed (laughs) but it's beautiful because it's half leather or half something and that time people were just not looking at the coats they wanted to buy bags I'm yeah. like, i don't have bags they're like we want to buy that i'm like that bag is not functional it's just a display and but then you i figured it out yeah but you know like looking back it's not practical yeah and then i said next year i kept on saying to everybody next year i'll come back with bags i wasn't going to come back with bags because i don't know how to make bags but then i went home and started making little wallets and bags from leftover um but it looked so interesting because I didn't know. Again, a beginner's mind does not care about practicality. It was right. just beautiful and so interesting. Right. And then one of my friends saw my wallet as I was paying for kids yoga for my son. And she's like, where did you get that wallet mm. from? Like, mm-hmm. I put it together. It didn't even close very strange. It was very interesting. I still love it. Yeah. And she's like, can you please make me one? I can't I don't have these pieces but I can make you something that's interesting she came over I made her one and she said you have to have an an event so I went to I did an event and I made a lot of money people were just I bet and I was like whoa bags okay now I'm not making coats I was doing both and then we moved as soon as it was just Mm -hmm. wonderful Mm -hmm. and then we come here nobody wears heavy beautiful well it's not the culture here yeah and the weather and the weather yeah yeah so I stuck to making bags and then I started making dresses for myself because it was hot those dresses are so (laughs) amazing they really are and then they're then the dresses became my um my thing now because it's summer they're flowy it's California and but it it was kind of reinventing myself as I went places and then the bags um there you know when somebody said oh you should go talk to um Ask Glenn Collective if they would mm-hmm. carry. I said never. Like they would never carry my. T- oh, she crazy? totally would. Yeah. And then, because I was really wanting to get out of the house, and I applied at the library. It takes, I guess, it's a six months process. It was just taking so long. Mm-hmm. So I said maybe I'll work there because it's such a beautiful store. It is beautiful. I applied for a job and I got the job. And then one day she realized I made bags and keychains. She's like, "Why don't you have your?" Mm-hmm. Like, oh. Okay, like it was just I wanted to come from her because I had no, yes. I didn't have the guts to ask. And she's and so inclusive too. I mean, she's just all about that kind of scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. But I didn't know her. I was new to town. I didn't know anything really. Um, and then that became my community. Mm-hmm. They became, that's now like the place I go to to just be myself. So and you feel like you found it then? Oh, I found my community first at Men Collective. It was yeah. just a group of women that had, you know, they everybody cared for everybody else. We got along well. We had the similar taste. And when things were rough around the election and stuff, she just stood by what I believed in. And mm-hmm. I said, she's a business owner. She has a lot to lose. She doesn't have to yeah. put her opinion out there. And she did. And I was mm-hmm. just, and I found now that's my community. Yeah. We hang out outside of work. It's just, it's it's almost home. Yeah. And and my things I still can't believe my things are there because at the beginning when somebody said that I said, Are you crazy? I'm not even gonna <laughs> I'm not even gonna go near that store. Yeah. But then and then somebody else found out I was making bags and they were just giving me leather in town and it's just things always connect when you're 
open and stick to what you want to do, whether it made sense or not. So yes, I agree. Yeah. So that's and then the library job happened, and I just lost my mind. I said, I can't believe I'm gonna work at the library because we go to the library every single day with my son. Every yeah. town we you go could to. work there for free. I'm sure I could work there for free. Yeah. I hope they're not listening, but. <laughs> <laughs> Because oh, that was our way into, because we moved, the first place we would go to is get to the library to get a library card yeah. so we can kind of, so I've been going there every day since before the renovation. Mm-hmm. So they knew me, they knew my son. Mm-hmm. And then when I applied, I didn't get it because I had no experience. Mm-hmm. And I called back and said, hey. And it turned out I did have some experience, but it was just a long process getting in. And I said to myself, if I don't get this library job, I'm just like not interested in even anything else. Like I was so excited. And when I finally got it, I said, perfect. Because to me, it's an almost an ego thing. That's like an, not an office job, but it's kind of an office. It's yeah. in a building. And <laughs> I know this is so... No, no, but I see what you mean. Yeah. There's a difference between... I feel like it's a brain job almost yeah. where I, I get to use my brain. So I've, yeah. I've been craving that. So I get my creative, wonderful world and then I get my brain job. So mm. I feel like I'm, I have some balance now. So as far as the pop-up goes, are you planning on... I mean, can you do it to where you don't sell I, out in 10 minutes? I want to do it and I want to do it in a bigger and a larger scale, but very far apart, say every mm-hmm. maybe six months, but a lot bigger. Yeah. So really prepare mm-hmm. and really, really like quality um, ingredients. What I would eat, I wouldn't serve anything I wouldn't eat. So it's going to yeah. be really high end, wonderful once every six months and then move on and not do it for a while because it's a lot of work. Yes. I, I did. It all the cooking and I never cook that much food. Yeah. So yes, I definitely want to do it, but it's going to be a different format, bigger and spread apart. Will you still do it at Satellite of Love? I don't, I'm not sure. I yeah. have no idea. I, I just thought about, oh, because everybody asks mm-hmm. still and mm-hmm. I don't want to not do it. Yeah. But I don't have any plans on to where or what. I just wanted to, because I think the fact it, it was very difficult because it was, every other week or it was just mm-hmm. too close to between the two jobs I have and Nahum and I had no time my day offs I, d- I cooked the food so yeah no I, I don't already think anyone was w- taking a toll on me and then that's yeah. not how you want to nobody want. would say that you're not doing enough yeah <laughs> no one would say that <laughs> so yeah spread apart um with help yeah um I definitely want to do it because the interest is there yeah people want it it's healthy it's delicious and Fabian would you let me help you oh my gosh it'd be (laughs) so much fun yeah and uh, I was trying to do the injera because the injera is the hardest part and I decided it's definitely not for me so I'm going to outsource the injera and then get it from somebody I trust Mm -hmm. um, and make sure it's 100% teff and Mm -hmm. um, yeah I because I want to share too yeah I love talking and I love eating with people so it's almost like another social gathering building a community thing for me even though it's a business it's still it's still it's more yeah yeah so I do want to do it it's just kind of wrapping my mind around yeah it needs to be done if you were um I've been asking everybody this if Mm -hmm. you were let's say you had 24 hours to live what Mm -hmm. would be the last thing that you would eat um whoa should have thought about that uh <laughs> it has to it's going to be a weird combination of things that I is would totally eat fine because mcdonald's fries would be in there no i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely um 
because I love Ethiopian food, yeah. but I don't eat it a lot because I don't get to cook it a lot. So I would have um, the chicken, the dorowet, which if anybody has Ethiopian food, they know how amazing that is. So it's the mm-hmm. chicken um, dish, beef tartar, which is kitfo, Ethiopian food. Mm-hmm. And then on the side, I definitely have to have cheese, good mm-hmm. cheese from like from our Sophie kind of cheese. Yeah. Which and um wine and tomatoes and olives and like that kind of yeah italian like a French. mediterranean yeah. yeah and definitely creamy heavy pasta oh yeah yeah <laughs> a very weird combination but i'm dying so it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> and all your friends are there and yeah yeah we can all eat whatever. yeah somewhere outdoor outdoors and with a lot of people yeah so i can talk <laughs> that sounds like a pretty great way to go yeah though. and then i'll be happy after that uh, yeah. and then definitely good wine yeah and then oh definitely good coffee after like a good espresso mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. top it off like seconds before i die would be the espresso <laughs> <laughs> when it's bubbling on the stove yes. okay it's time yeah and then i'm totally okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad you came to my house to talk to me thank, thank you. you this was wonderful and easy not so painful i was nervous good but <laughs> everybody is yeah no you're but it's easy just to talking talk to. it's like talking to a friend yeah. thank you thank you thanks again for listening to consumed special thanks to chris lambert who advised me and edited the show want to hear more Visit letsgetconsumed.com for more tasty interviews and news about upcoming episodes. And please share Consumed with a friend. The more, the merrier. Until next time, this is Jamie Lewis.